and welcome to the Her Helping Habit podcast, a podcast that's going to address issues, questions, queries, all about egg donation, surrogacy and infertility and other things that come under that scope as well. I'm joined here today by Katie, the founder and creator of Her Helping Habit. So without further ado, I think we should just dive straight in. So here we go. Are most of your intended parents in Canada? Um, our intended parents are really it's quite a 50-50 split between Canadian intended parents and international. They can come from all over the world. We do have a good chunk of people who are living in Canada, but like I said, um, they could be living really coming from anywhere because Canada doesn't discriminate. Um, there's a lot of countries in Europe and throughout the world that don't allow same-sex parents, single parents, um, pursue adoption or aid donation or surrogacy and it's illegal so Canada we are quite open. Um, so what will the intended parents see and learn about me from my profile? So intended parents are going to see all the photos that you send us, a video if you were to create one and essentially anything that you put in your aid donor profile. So your aid donor application you've sent us that's private and that's stuff that we um, would review with you on your intake call, but your profile is the next paperwork that we send you following that call. And everything in there um, is what is shown to the intended parents. What is your uh, general demographic for the intended parents? Um, intended parents, um, I guess, essentially could be anyone from 18 to 52, um, but I've never had anybody apply that young. Um, I would say on average intended parents are from 25 to 50. Um, and I'm saying 50 because that tends to be when clinics cut off. Um, there's some clinics that will let you transfer up to maybe 51. So that's where maybe um, upon pregnancy occurring, maybe 52. Um, but yeah, I think most parents tend to be in their 40s or 50s. Will I be enrolled in an egg donor registry? I wish I could say yes. Um, you, If you're a Her Helping Habit donor, you're going to be in our internal egg donor registry. But unfortunately, there is no such thing as a like international egg donor registry or even just a registry in Canada. We really need one for long-term tracking of egg donor health, um, but then also for tracking of all these offspring that are conceived through egg and sperm donations. Uh, there is a donor sibling registry based out of the United States. Do you know there's something like that that exists? Um, I think it is a lot more beneficial for people in the U.S. who are going through banks and have like a bank number and are, are working with frozen gametes, but um, but you would be kept into our internal registry, you know, and that will be shared with the government if and when one ever becomes available. If I do not live local to the intended parents clinic, how often will I need to travel and for which appointments? So if you don't live close to the intended parents clinic, you're going to have to travel probably once for a screening trip and then once for a retrieval trip. So two trips. Um, the screening trip is anywhere from a day to two, three days. Um, and that's really a quick fly in and out. You're going to be checking um, blood work, ultrasound, meeting with the doctor in person and genetic testing. So that's all kind of done in one go. It usually happens between day three or five of your period. And um, 
then once all that's in fast forward your second trip is after you start medication so depending on the clinic do not quote me uh there's a lot of clinics lately we're seeing they want you to travel for that full two week period that you're on medication so that means um you need to go be there day three of your period again have an ultrasound you'll be given the go ahead to start meds and then you're there until after your retrieval i really don't like people flying the next day if you must for work you know i'm not going to keep you there but i recommend a day or two recovery and then we get you on a flight home so your second trip could be up to three weeks um other clinics you might get to do some local monitoring so if there's a clinic close to you at home they can do some testing that is sent to the clinic that your intended parents are at and then uh, you travel anywhere from day seven to day nine on medication and then you're there for probably three to five days to have the retrieval and recovery. When and how will I receive my compensation? I know that a lot of people ask that and there's not a lot of awareness out there, but it's totally illegal to be compensated. In Canada, we have a reimbursement model. So what that means is your receipted expenses are reimbursed after the fact. So receipted expenses for egg donors can be anywhere from 5,000 and up for your personal expenses. And so that covers things like your time off work, uh, companions time off work because you need someone to accompany you on this retrieval procedure, check you out. Um, and then you're not, you're not bored for the two weeks you're away. So both of you guys get that time covered from work, like childcare, dog care. If you have either of those, there's a list. If you go to the government of Canada's website of reimbursable expenses, and that varies as well if you're a surrogate. Um, but yeah, there is no compensation in Canada. Do I have a choice of whether I want to be contacted by IPs or future offspring? Uh, yes, or yes and no. You, you, you establish the kind of relationship that you're looking for at the very beginning. And that's something we really take into consideration when we are, when we're intaking you. So we encourage you to, to think about that if you haven't already before you talk to us so that we can really get a sense of like what you're looking for in terms of a relationship and find you a couple um, or recommend somebody who's looking for something similar. So if you don't wanna stay in touch, um, you know, that's okay, but why? And I would kind of wonder where is that fear coming from? Um, because we do know that it's best practice to stay in touch to some degree and have an openness for the children who result from these donations. So, um, yeah, I, I would I would want to kind of um, see what your thoughts are on that down the line for the children reaching out because it's it's unfortunate if one day they want to know something medically um, of or um, about you you know that affects them down the line and you aren't open to sharing that because you know I, I think we kind of got to put ourselves in these kids' shoes. Um, if I didn't, if I was conceived through egg or sperm donor, I, I think it's natural to have questions. And I would simply want to know, you know, do I have history of cancer in my family? Am I French? Am I Italian? And um, I know some of that is put in an egg donor profile, but there is a huge gap between the period of time somebody donates and somebody 
um, some of these kids are 20 and or even when they're in kindergarten or grade two when they're divulging into their family trees and their ancestry and that really helps form somebody's identity so um, we really come from a place of an open door policy at her helping habit and um, it's not that you need to be best friends but I, yeah you definitely would need to stay in touch to some degree to uh, share information at minimum by email um, you know, if you want to talk, video chat, meet in person, by all means, but um, you're going to have to agree to some kind of exchange in the future if it's requested of you, if that makes sense. Um, I don't think it's really fair for us to say, you know, you, you can't do that or, um, you know, that you have to meet them, but I think that that information needs to be shared. So, we can share that for you at Her Helping Habit if we're still in existence, but we like you two guys to have that connection, to have some kind of control, because I don't know if we're going to be in existence for sure in 20, 30, 40 years, maybe when these questions are asked. What usually causes a cycle to be canceled? So I haven't seen too many cycles be canceled, but things that could cause that is if a donor's failed her drug test, we're not going to be starting her on meds. And on day three, just before they prescribe meds, you do ultrasound blood work, probably a drug test in there. And they're checking the ultrasound. Yeah, if there's a cyst or any um, maybe fluid within the, the area that's unexpected, like anything from that ultrasound or blood work that comes up that's un unusual could cause a cycle to cancel. I guess mid-cycle, if you're into monitoring, a cycle could be canceled if there are too little or too many eggs developing. Um, a cycle is not going to be feasible if there's only four or five eggs growing and you're an egg donor. Um, that's more likely to be seen with somebody who's going through IVF themselves that's an infertile patient. Yeah, I, I, essentially a doctor would recommend a cycle to be canceled if he doesn't think it's going to be viable. Okay, that's great. I think that is all we have time for today, unfortunately, but we will be back again soon. So thank you for your time. Um, and thank you for listening. Um, if you have any questions or queries, um, about some of the topics covered in this episode, then please feel free to reach out at www.herhelpinhabit.com. Um, you'll also find a lot of FAQs and answers to questions and queries regarding some of these subjects there as well. Thank you very much for listening and we will be back again soon. Have a great day.